did choose you. And not for the reasons you think. Your assumption that the Klingons were waiting in ambush at the binary stars was predictive. Chose to do the right thing, over and above what was sanctioned. Even the great cost to yourself. I thought Klingons were honorable. As if you understand honor. So, Harcourt, Fenton, Mudd, the USS Discovery is yours. As am I. You win. <laughs> Don't try and con a con, man. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek Discovery, brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and our many generous supporters. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek Discovery, where we discuss the deeper layers and meaning in the hit new show, Star Trek Discovery. Today, we're discussing the first half season of the show, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good. So uh, I want to start this uh, with a, a, uh, a disclaimer, content warning, however you want to put it. Star Trek Discovery contains some mature content related to matters, mostly matters of a sexual nature, although it also has a lot of violence and stuff. But uh, talking about violence is not necessarily going to trigger anyone. But uh, we'll be discussing those uh, mature content, that mature content, as we do all uh, content from a Catholic perspective, because we are, are, are all three of us are Catholics, and from a Catholic moral perspective, if the discussion of uh, ma- of matters of a sexual nature as they appear in the show are, is something you don't want to listen to in front of children, probably not. You probably should listen to the show first, or just not listen to it around kids. Uh, we're not going to get explicit, of course, but uh, and we're not going to drop the, drop the f bomb for the first time in a Star Star Quest SQPN uh, <laughs> podcast ever, like Star Trek did. Uh, so we'll, uh, but you know, just I want to put that out there up front so we don't surprise anyone when we start talking about some of the uh, the aspects of the show that are make it uh, different from others. Uh, so. <clears throat> Uh, Star Trek returns in a way, uh, or not just in a way, but so let's let's kind of just talk about the idea of Star Trek returning uh, to the small screen. It's been, uh, gosh, since Enterprise, I think it's been over a decade, uh, twelve years. Like I didn't look up the number, like the, the date of uh, Enterprise, two thousand five. So it's been a, a dozen years since we've had Star Trek on TV, um, and. We, it's now been uh, even longer than that since we've had uh, Star Trek that takes place after the events of Star Trek Voyager. Sure. Uh, so, what do you what do you think? I mean, about about the return of Star Trek. What was your what were your hopes and dreams and and impressions when you first heard about it, uh, Jimmy? Let's start with you. Um, you know, I, I've been a fan of Star Trek ever since I was a little kid. And so I was disappointed that it was off the air for so long. Um, I thought that I understood why it went off the air because we'd achieved a kind of saturation point ever since, you know, we had next gen and deep space nine and then Voyager took a big step down in the writing and enterprise was uneven in the writing. It was finally catching its stride when it got canceled, but Um, But we just had so much Star Trek for so many years that ratings were down. People were burned out on it. And the series, even though I would have liked to see Enterprise go on longer, the series was hitting a point where it needed a rest to let, you know, kind of people reset before the franchise comes back. Um, So I, I, I was disappointed that it's been this long. 
I was excited and I don't know if that's the right word, but I was intrigued and pleased uh, when I heard that there was going to be a new Star Trek series. I was concerned because I'd seen how the producers of Star Trek had made really big missteps uh, previously uh, with other series. Voyager and Enterprise both, I think, had big missteps in on the conceptual level that prevented them from being successful as series. And uh, and so I was concerned about what would this new series be. I was also concerned how would it relate to the J.J. Abrams movies, which I'm I'm not a fan of. They they don't feel like Star Trek to me. They feel like Star Wars wrapped in a Star Trek skin. Mm. Um, and so I was ap- apprehensive. And uh, that was my basic initial reaction. I also was concerned that the series was announced not for television, but for this new CBS all-access digital platform, uh, which guaranteed that a lot of people would not be seeing it. Mm-hmm. How about you, Father Corey? Uh, how did what was your rea- initial reaction, and and it, and also the fact that it was going to take place before the events you know, between right. Enterprise and the original series? That that was one of my big concerns is they were constraining themselves 10 years. It's it's supposedly discovery is 10 years before uh, the original series. Now I don't mean constraining themselves as far as a technical level. You know, I know there were some fans that were upset because the discovery looks far more advanced than the USS enterprise. No more mini skirts and bouffant hairdos and colorful Uh, unlabeled buttons (laughs) yeah exactly and that that, that's that's neither here nor there i mean that that they were operating under the technical constraints and what they thought looked high tech in 1963 or six what 66 six six. sorry i was thinking doctor who was doctor who (laughs) but 67 you know um they're operating what they thought looked like high tech then and they were operating with the best of technology as far as special effects and everything like that at the time the original series came out We've got far better technology. We've got, you know, our low technology looks more high tech than the original series did. And and we've even seen redesigns. I mean, when Star Trek, the motion picture came out, we had a very, you know, a big visual jump in terms of the set design and the special effects and the Klingons. The makeup effects for them totally changed and improved. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get to the Klingons separately. I want to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. We got to. That is kind of an issue. (laughs) So, I mean, there's all this. All this uh, history of the series, you know, of, of the, the lore of Star Trek, there's there's so much there that I was really afraid, you know, again, looking at the Enterprise, the series Enterprise, they kind of fell into that trap as well. And they, they tried to redeem themselves by having the mirror image episode, mirror universe episode where they get a Constitution class cruiser that it looks like the original enterprise set and it's very discordant you right. know because you, you've got the you know nx01 enterprise which looks much more modern by our view and then it's a step back to what looked futuristic in the 60s so right. i was kind of afraid that that wasn't so much a concern for me actually i'm kind of glad that they just did away with that which is saying you know we're going to make it look like the original series that 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 I'm not so concerned about. I was more worried about how is it going to fit in with the lore of Star Trek? And I think they've been making conscious efforts to do that. 
but we'll talk about well some of the stuff we'll talk about with the series there's still a lot of question marks there so but it actually ties into a lot of star trek lore right Mm -hmm. in really big and little ways yeah there's there's one one point where they really they just kind of do an explicit drop into the lore where they say you know we're talking um i think we can kind of go into this if since we're Oh, yeah. about it. Spoiler warning, everybody. We're reviewing <laughs> yeah. the first nine episodes or the first half season. Yes. So, yes, spoilers ahoy. If you're worried about spoilers, turn off the the series now or turn off this podcast now. Um, you know, where there the Michael Burnham is running with her roommate and going over what her roommate's future plans needs to be, how she needs to become a captain of a starship. It just happens to say, oh, and you'll become a first officer on a Constitution class ship like the Enterprise. And it goes on saying that the Constitution class exists at this time, 10 years before the series, and that the Enterprise exists at this time, 10 years before the original series. And another point they mentioned, it's it's, it's the captain would have been Robert April at this point. Right. Or Christopher Pike one. Uh, at another point, uh, uh, Harry Mudd, a character who they bring from from classic Star, uh, Star Trek, the original series, uh, gets a list from the computer of the of the best captains of uh, of the Starfleet at the time. And it's all, right. uh, you know, Robert April, Captain Chris Picard, uh, uh, Pike, uh, Chris Pike, Pike, Picard, Pike. Um, and and what was there was one other one. It mentions Archer. Archer. Right. And then. Uh, the Captain Giorgio, who, who, as we see in the first yeah. uh, pilot episode, um, actually it's Saru who does that. Oh, right, right. That's that's when he was trying to temporarily captain. Right. Yeah. So, um, so from my perspective, you know, when I heard about it, I was excited and concerned. Um, excited by uh, the fact that we were going to get new Star Trek as a TV series. The fact is, is that the you know f- uh, from a business perspective. CBS owns Star Trek on TV. Paramount owns Star Trek as movies, and they're mm-hmm. they're separate businesses. Uh, so you can't, they can't really cover the same ground, and so you're not going to see crossovers of uh, Chris Pine or Chris Pine whoever. or yeah. Um, I mean, the, the one we'd likely see would be uh, the guy uh, uh, Zach Quinto as uh, Spock because of the relationship with Michael Burnham. Uh, it would be nice to kind of see that, but I don't know mm-hmm. that we're going to get a chance to. So, but th- there was a separation. And then there was a lot of controversy behind the scenes. There was uh, upheaval in the showrunners. Um, and then, uh, you know, they, this guy who had been involved in Star Trek before, and then he left. And then there was all this question about yeah. why. And and the initial buzz, because of all that turmoil, was bad. Yes. That it, looked, it looked like the series was going to be a disaster. When they started releasing visual designs of what the Discovery looked like initially, they changed it. But yeah. a little bit, they changed it. But when the initial design for the discovery was revealed it was widely panned by fans and worse when the initial design for the klingons was revealed it was even worse for the fans and 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 there must have been extensive reshoots as well because the show was originally supposed to uh, premiere this past january january 2017 then they pushed it back to may of 2017 and it finally didn't it didn't hit the screen until september uh, right. 2017. So it's it, it, so it had a rocky beginning, and like you said, Jimmy, it's this streaming versus broadcast question, and mm-hmm. I'd like to kind of jump into that a little bit here because, you know, the 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 danger of broadcast from a, the show's perspective is if or I'm sorry, of streaming is that 
if enough people don't sign up to spend another, what is it, seven bucks a month? I think it is. Yeah, something um, like that. seven yeah. or eight or something like that. Yet another seven or eight dollars a month that we have to pay to another streaming service to get the shows we want. That it may hurt the show, the show's future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, where it's not on broadcast, except for the first episode, you know, if it's on broadcast, it's got a much wider audience, and it's just makes you makes you worried for the future. Well, this 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 is not un heard of in Star Trek, wasn't it Voyager that started the UPN network? Yes. Of course, you've oh, heard of and, that one, right? And, and, it doesn't exist and, anymore. And Well, yeah. Also, this is a recurring theme uh, with Star Trek. And after the original series, um, there was a planned reboot with the original cast called Star Trek Phase 2 that was going to launch a new net TV network, which then never happened. And then... Um, Next Gen broke ground as uh, as a syndicated show, which was a mm-hmm. new concept at the time. First run syndication had not really been right. a thing before. And uh, then you had Voyager launch a network, and now you have this launching the equivalent of a network because broadcast – I mean, the case for this is broadcast is, is going away or changing mm-hmm. radically – Online is where the future is, and networks are experimenting to try to figure out how they can best leverage that and creating their own platform rather than going with an existing platform like Hulu or Amazon or Netflix um, is a way that networks kind of actually need to experiment with just to find out what shakes out in the end. But that does put the series at risk. Fortunately for fans of Star Trek Discovery, if you're a fan, uh, it, which you may be if you're listening to this podcast, um, it has been picked up for a second season. And not mm-hmm. just the second half of the first season that's beginning in January, but a whole entire second season. Right. That's good and, news. And, well- one thing I want to be uh, clear about, we've kind of you know, mentioning this CBS All Access that they're putting it on. It's actually been around for about three years. Yeah, it's, it was not uh, Discovery is not like the launch series. It is the um, the big mm-hmm. push to get people onto CBS All Access. It's the highest right. profile CBS Access only show. Put it that right, way. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't want to go too much into that. And of course, international viewers are, are who happen to be Netflix subscribers are in the best case because they're getting it as part of ne- their Netflix subscription. They don't have to pay extra, which is uh, nice for our friends who are in the Netherlands, say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, so enough of the business. Uh, so let's talk about the show itself. Um and we talked a little about the technology. I, I, I want to come back to that, uh, but let's talk about the characters. Uh, Michael Burnham is the is the lead character. She's obviously the the fo- the focus the, the focus point character, the viewpoint character, um, and she's she's very different for Star Trek uh, because mm-hmm. she's a criminal. She 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 mutinied against her captain. You know, with good cause apparently, because she was trying to prevent this war with the Klingons from starting. But she went about it the wrong way, and she mutinied, and she caused her ship to be lost, her captain to be killed. And I, I don't know that she did go about it the wrong way. I think I- I- events just took a course that was unfortunate. Right, right. right. Uh, well, and she- if, if, the, if, if Captain Giorgio had listened to her right from the beginning, mm-hmm. preventing the mutiny and given the Vulcan hello then uh, we might have avoided the war. There's a good case to make, to make for that. Okay, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. She seems to have accepted her, her role and her fate. Um, she, mm-hmm. she doesn't apologize. She doesn't make excuses for, for her crimes. Um, 
And on her way to life in prison as the first mutineer ever in the history of Starfleet, uh, she's... Yeah, that's implausible. Yeah. <laughs> she's Exactly. Uh, I mean, this uh, given the stuff that we saw in Enterprise, I, I don't know if that would... If yeah. I could buy that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the... the uh, she she's intercepted by the dis, you know this the ship discovery and its captain who takes her uh you know from from her her path to prison and puts her to work for him as a you know a specialist given her specialized knowledge and uh abilities because she's apparently was raised by Sarek and his wife Amanda his human wife Amanda as a step not stepsister because they're not really blood related. Stepchild. But, well, they're not really blood related, adopted but child. So, a, adopted, adopted brother and sister, brother sister or foster sister in a sense. She was sort of fostered as an orphan. Um, I, I, to me, that's I have a hard time with that just because it's just a it's a little on the nose if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's a little it's, it's a it's a little everybody is related to famous people. Exactly. How plausible is that? Exactly. It, it's not just any Vulcan. It's Sarek of Vulcan. You know, and right. and and she's this human. Like, and the fact is, is of course we we you know Spock has never in all of Star Trek talked about mm. having a human foster sister. Like, right. And, and of, of course, he just you know, just like he never talked about having an emotional Vulcan brother before Star Trek five. <laughs> oh, Cybok. <Right. laughs> that, that's one messed up family. Uh, <laughs> well, but as 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 we see in one episode at the Vulcan, whatever it is, you know, uh, one of the Vulcans points out to Sarek. He has a history of these experiments um, and yeah. you know I mean he yeah. married a human woman and so if uh, he has these history of experimenting with humans and emotions and if anybody on Vulcan is going to have a human foster child it Sarek would probably be one of the few that would be willing yeah. to do it. It's it's an interesting idea, uh, and I'm not sure why. Yeah, but anyway, why they why it would Vulcans that took her in whatever. Uh, but it, what it results is that Burnham is very much emotionally restrained. She's very much stunted. Yes, <laughs> that's another way to put it. Uh, but she's it makes her character interesting in that she's uh, she she has trouble with relationships, and in some ways she's almost autistic or you know on the spectrum mm -hmm. uh, yep. in that mm -hmm. sense because uh, her social skills aren't there, which is an interesting choice for, by the producers. Because given the audience, a lot of there's a lot of fans who identi identify as uh, on the spectrum. Um, I don't think that's speaking out of out of turn at all. Uh, no. I, I know a lot of uh, folks who who well, said that. And all the way back to the original series, I mean, Spock is yeah. the ultimate loner. Yes. Uh, and emotionally uh, unavailable sort of uh, and character. cerebral and yeah. Incidentally, uh, all of the characters, just a gen kind of a meta level comment about the characters on the show. They're all broken. Yes. In one degree yeah. or another. We don't have the next gen phenomenon where everyone is perfect and everyone is squeaky clean. Right. Um, this is very much the opposite of that. And in that respect, it's in the mold of Deep Space Nine. Yes. Because yes. you had the pervasive character brokenness on Deep Space Nine. And that was one of the things that made Deep Space Nine the best Star Trek series 
agreed. Of, so far. I'm in agreement it, with because that. Because it creates vastly more dramatic potential and emotion than if everyone mm. is perfect and squeaky clean. And I so would, I find it yeah. refreshing. I would point out that Picard became a much more interesting character when he had the, some of that brokenness from being turned into lore and some of those other aspects. The Borg. Yes. Yep. Uh, not lore, but... Um, Borg. Yeah, Lucutus. he was Lucutus. Lucutus. Ugh, I got all these facts in my head. <laughs> now that you make an interesting point about everybody being broken, because it it makes this sort of it it makes it different from other Star Trek in two ways, which is um, it's much more a a, char- a one character viewpoint story than it is an yes. ensemble. We're used to Star Trek being much more of an ensemble. Um, mm-hmm. It also makes it very dark. This is the darkest Star Trek. Yeah. Of all, I mean, previously yes. it was it was Deep Space Nine because of the war, but this this goes well beyond that. In this both is the, Battlestar Galactica level, almost not right. quite, yes. but almost. Yes. Uh, although the uh, the gore and violence is raised up a level because it's not broadcast TV, uh, and yeah. there's also a bit of language and sexuality, as we as we t- said at the top of the show. Uh, but yes, it, it the the darkness is ramped up. Uh, the th- the feel that I get for this show is operatic. Um, it's mm-hmm. like an opera tragedy that you're watching, not a comic opera, but a tragic opera. Yeah. And, and in fact, it is. And, and, you, and I, I really get the vibe that a lot of these characters are not going to come out of this in a good position. Right. Whether Michael Burnham does in the end, I don't know. She may. But like Captain Lorca, if he survives at all, he is like going to do serious jail time. Well, right. I, I was yeah. just just going to go into that because the, the, he is uh, in the unethical captain that was the most unethical. Yeah. Of which, like mm-hmm. um, um, Avery Brooks, you, Cisco, oh, uh, Cisco. You know, he crossed the line a few times. Famously, there was this one episode, the famous episode in the where Pale Moonlight, in the Pale Moonlight, which was one of the best episodes of Star Trek. I think it's one of my favorites yep. of all time. And yep. He he crossed the line, but Lorca, like he lives on the other side of the line. I mean, he is, yeah. he, he's a and in some ways he's almost a bad guy in this. Really, I mean, he is. Yeah, he's definitely the most broken captain ever. And just to give, I mean, just to give a kind of summary, I'm assuming everyone has seen these episodes if you're listening or you don't care about spoilers. Um, <laughs> but when, I mean, he, he he's initially presented to us as a guy who is hyper-focused on winning the war with the Klingons. And he will do anything to accomplish that. But he has this view of himself that he's essential to winning the war on the Klingon. Mm-hmm. So he cannot step away from command of the Discovery. And when his command of the Discovery is threatened, he first lies to and then seduces his superior officer. And then when his superior officer decides to take command away from him anyway, he then deliberately places her in a situation where she's going to get kidnapped and possibly killed and then refuses to go rescue her. Mm-hmm. And so he's deliver he's doing a a Uriah the Hittite on her. He's he's <laughs> yeah. he's setting herself up to be he's setting her up to be killed. And this is this is just completely off the scale for Starfleet captain behavior. Yeah, it's it's an, and and in some ways 
I find it makes it interesting in the sense like this is this oh, is fascinating. so so different from but it's it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me and that's really the the fundamental question at the heart of this on the one hand it's I, I think it's good science fiction but on the other hand it doesn't feel like Star Trek to me and I think a lot of fans are grappling with this idea you know like it's it's dark it's these characters there's mm-hmm. some of them I don't like them at all very much um, and yet and it doesn't feel like Star Trek but I, but it feels like good science fiction I mean the, the uh, reaction the reaction I heard and I really agree with was after the the, the two the first two-parter aired well it aired the first episode and then you could go online and watch the second episode right away was this would be an incredible science fiction show on its own if this was not in the star trek universe this would be an incredible science fiction episode this is an episode that would fit with uh battlestar galactica universe very well um but as far as a star trek series it, there's a lot of people who are very upset with it for that and myself so- included so let me make the case for why it's okay for Star Trek to go in this direction, um, at least on the thematic level. I'm not talking about individual choices that they right. make in the series. Um, Star Trek, there's so let me draw a point of comparison with Star Wars. The movies in Star Wars have that focus on the Skywalker family, the numbered movies, all have a very similar feel and a very similar formula. Some of them are better than others, notably episodes four and five. Some are really bad, like episode (laughs) one, but they all have certain common thematic elements. You've got Skywalkers, you've got the Force, you've got light and dark, you've got lightsabers, you've got dogfights in space, you have all of these common elements. And the producers have a problem How do you recycle those formulas endlessly without them getting boring? What the producers of the Star Trek, Star Wars universe, uh, Kathleen Kennedy and her group realized in the post George Lucas era is they need to find ways to expand the emotional range of the Star Wars universe to keep it from just getting totally stale. And the way they chose to do that is by creating these branch off movies, the one shots like Rogue Mm -hmm. One which is by far the darkest thing we've seen in the Star Wars universe. It has a much more realistic feel, and it was a great movie. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's essentially what the producers of Star Trek are trying to do, because if they just right. brought back something that felt like Next Gen or felt like Deep Space Nine or mm-hmm. felt like Voyager or Enterprise, it would be, oh, ho-hum, we've seen this and done no. this, got the T-shirt. They What they need to do, like Star Wars, is find other places in the Star Trek universe that have different emotional feels so it doesn't all feel the same right. to us and it, we don't have that franchise fatigue just well, come roaring back at us. And, and I agree with you and that, that's why I specifically put my comments to the first two episodes. Uh-huh. I was not a fan of the first two episodes at all. I, oh, okay. you know, um, As I think about it, they I almost feel like they should have started with the third episode and did flashbacks to what got her into jail. And and that would have been a possibility. Yeah, they could have been an interesting big reveal at some point. Because I think from the as the series went on, that Star Trek feel came back. But like you said, not in a formulaic way. Well, it, it fits so much more, in my opinion, fits so much more into the Star Trek universe after the second episode again this is just my opinion when you think about it 
I mean, the fact is, is the first two episodes of Star Trek Discovery have no discovery. <laughs> There's no Starship yeah. Discovery in those. They're um, really their own mini prequel series. And yeah. in fact, maybe that's what they should have done is, is separated it in time, uh, you know, and, and played those, you know, at some other point. I don't know. I, it's I mean, that maybe that's above my pay grade. But but the, the I agree that those first two episodes, I mean, there were, there were aspects of them I enjoyed. I liked parts of them. But um, it felt so foreign, so alien. Um, and <laughs> and yet all of the marketing focused on those episodes. So, you know, if you if you would only watch that, you would have thought that uh, Captain Giorgio and Takuvma were going to be major parts of this series going forward. And you had no sense of Captain Lorca or any of the other characters who are only on uh, on Discovery. And and so you, you, it was. There was a sort of um, it was a disconcerting moment when it when when it, that those first two episodes ended. And it's like, what am I like? Is this the same? Is this what it's going to be? Right. Um, it was very strange. And and I think they were trying to preserve the surprise of Burnham being court-martialed and sentenced to prison. And that our main character is not the heroic uh, mm-hmm. Enterprise yeah. officer. It's this. It's this lowly prisoner. Um, right. They they totally subvert expectations um, yeah. because we would expect, you know, Burnham to have this dramatic last minute reversal at the end of that, you know, of her opening story. And mm-hmm. nope, it doesn't happen. Her captain dies. She's a mutineer and she goes to prison for the rest yeah. of her life. Not, not, just, <laughs> not just does she not have a reversal. She doubles down on it and it leads to the death of her captain and the ship and a war. Right. And a war. Yeah. So um, I want to I want to take the plenty of time so we can talk about the Klingons uh, and the yeah. interesting choice of uh, the choices they made with the Klingons. So the the big problem was in the original series the Klingons were swarthy looking human beings essentially they were they looked yeah. like they were maybe from uh, from Eastern Europe or something they weren't they weren't all that alien uh, but they, they had, had a, they had for all the like Klingons you saw in the background they had like a to makeup budget of between two and three dollars. Right, they had bushy yeah. eyebrows and a big and a and a uh, goatee because some, go, goatees are evil apparently. And some face paint. And some face paint, right? <laughs> uh, and then you know the first in the f- opening scenes of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, the famously, you're like, who are these guys who are speaking yeah. in this strange language? And they have these head bumps and all this rubber mask makeup and. These are Klingons, and 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 for years, and then uh, the next generation came along with Worf, and f- no explanation, of, uh, until years later we get some vague, you know, sort of oh there was some sort of disease, and in fact there was a uh, a novelization I think it was uh, a few oh. years ago that that kind of actually explained the whole thing. Oh, actually, it was uh, it was explained. So in Deep Space Nine, we had a kind of non-answer from Worf where he right. said, we don't talk about it. Right. But then in Enterprise, they did a story arc where it was revealed that um, the human-looking Klingons had been affected by a genetically engineered plague that was designed to take DNA from augmented oh. humans of the Khan, Noonie, right. and Singh variety and improve Klingons. But then it, it went out of control and made them all look human for a while until they got a cure. Okay, so that explains why, like, uh, for example, Kang and Kor uh, looked human yeah. in the original series and then were 
a Klingon. Yeah, pre- back- previous exactly. speculations had been that, well, maybe there's two races of Klingons, but then that theory got dashed by the appearance of characters who now looked different. Okay. Um, and, you know, really, they didn't need to do that because – it's just a makeup upgrade, guys. Don't worry about right. it. Right. It's well, really it's same, just a show. I should really just relax. The, the but, same. The same thing as you know the difference between you know the Enterprise from the '60s and Discovery from today. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just it, roll with it. Right. It's just not a big deal. But they did come up with a kind of fun explanation, and the lion with Worf is funny. Oh, so, yeah. that's you know, a great episode. The, the, yeah. the Triggles episode of DS9 is is a <laughs> fantastic episode. And that's just kind of a – he kind of like, we don't talk about it. But so yeah. now this this uh, uh, series now undermines all that because now we've got these Klingons who no, look neither like the Klingons of Next Gen era or the Klingons of the original series era. There's something different. They uh, may eventually exp- – now, they could explain it as, okay, this is some other race or group of Klingons. They don't all have to look the same, just like right. Federation people don't all have to look the same. Um, but the problem is they've shown us members of multiple, like, Klingon houses. Yeah. And they all have this different design. Yeah. If it if it were a pleasing different design, I could just say, okay, makeup change, no big deal. Right. But it's not a pleasing design, no. and that's the problem. It looks mm-hmm. ugly. It doesn't correspond to what we've accepted in the past, and and that's a trade down rather than a trade up or a trade sideways. Mm-hmm. And it also affects the performance of the art, of the actors. I think yeah. the, the, the performances are wooden, and frankly, if, uh, finally, in the last episode of the, of the first half of the season, they get the Universal Translator out, and so we no longer have to hear this labored uh, exp- enunciation dialogue. of Klingon. I mean, it just it takes forever for the actress to say a line, uh, and it just was, uh, oh, it was it was it was torment because then you have to read it on the screen anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, their 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 body motions are because they're in these big stiff plastic suits. Um, they they look as like these guys are not super warriors. <laughs> right, they're they're no. stiff, lumbering, almost zombie-like. In- <laughs> right, it, 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 it's it's not. I you know I I don't think it's a successful change, um, and I don't I don't think I I don't feel like I've ever gotten a satisfactory explanation from anyone involved in the series for why they felt it was necessary. Except it's our new thing, and we're gonna do we're gonna put our stamp on it. Uh, you know mm-hmm. they they didn't change the Vulcans, which thank God <laughs> they didn't change yeah. the Vulcans. Yeah. They didn't ch- you know change other things, but they had to. They felt like they had to change the Klingons, and it just it just bothers me that it that it 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 shows a particular mindset. That's the that of we're going to mess well, with things. You you do want if you're creating a series, I mean, you do need to differentiate it from what's come before so that it feels different. And it's just a question of how far do you go with that. And and sometimes creators go too far or if not too far, they botch it. And I think that's mm-hmm. what happened here. I wouldn't have minded a makeup change if it if it were a lateral trade or or an improvement. But right. it wasn't. It was a step down. Right. So, um, and then we have the Klingon War, and this Klingon War is something that had been brought up in in classic Trek. In fact, all the way back to the original series, it's uh, uh, yeah. the, the, a war that um, involved Captain uh, Icarus. Uh, uh, 
Well, Garth of Izar was Garth, in it. That's right, Izar. Uh, Icarus was the was my pro- uh, memory prompt. Garth, Garth of Izar, um, and a little a, a little side note. There was this um, attempt by to make a fan uh, film mm-hmm. called uh, yep. Axonar. About the Battle of Action Hour by professionals, professional actors, actors that you've seen in Star Trek uh, and in other mm-hmm. science fiction series. Uh, and it looked, it looked really good. It looked awesome. And it was going to be really good. It was, But it was going to take place during this time period. And they raised millions of dollars through Kickstarter uh, f- to, to produce this. Uh, mm-hmm. And Paramount sued them. And it was, well, it was CBS. Was it? Just OK, it was CBS, I suppose. Um, oh, yeah, it was CBS. And. And the result was a this decision that uh, these new guidelines for fan films that they can be no longer than fifteen minutes. They cannot cover certain things and and all this mm-hmm. other stuff, can't, which can't use actors from the series. Right. It just really undermines the the whole project and and undermines all the great. I mean, there were there were a lot. I mean, great might be a little much, but there were a, a lot of much. Yeah, there were a lot of fun fan films right. that were well done for a fan film out there. Um, these guys up in upstate New York who built an Enterprise on a soundstage, the original series Enterprise. I mean, it looked it looks amazing from for, from a fan perspective. Um, that Star Trek continues for people who may want yes. to look that up. Yeah, That's right. Ex- they just they just finished it up, and I I thought it was an excellently done. Series, yeah. For, they had to cut it short though because yeah, of this, right? For what they for the the level of, of of production value that they can reach, it was pretty well done. So, uh, so that's sort of the backstory. So of, of it this. was so well done actually that when uh, Star Trek Enterprise needed uh, prop elements and set elements from a Constitution class ship, they got them from the Star Trek Continues people who had rebuilt them. That's right. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's pretty cool. Uh, so yep. so that's sort of the, the, the backstory of that, like this of the like, so the why that we so Discovery covers this Klingon war. Um, I, I don't know if there's much to say about it. I mean, it, the Star Trek at war, we've seen it in Deep Space Nine. It's, I, I would say this about it. I don't think I, I don't get as much of a sense of the war as I did with Deep Space Nine. It in was deep in Deep Space Nine. We saw a bunch of episodes, and it was it was it was a much longer thing. It went on for a few years, but um, we saw different sites in the war. We went to these places. We felt the troop movements and the ships and the fleets and the convoys mm-hmm. and everything. And I felt much more engaged in the war. Whereas on Discovery, it feels like there's a war going on, but it's somewhere away from here, and we just kind of right. are hopping around its edges on the Discovery. Yeah. Right, and the, you hear you hear the Discovery did this and Discovery did that, but we don't actually see it on screen what the Discovery is actually doing to affect the war. Right. Or other ships. We don't see people dying. We don't, you know, see troops being shot, you know, on a battlefield. We don't see anything right. like that. Right. We had one uh, one episode, the the eighth episode, Sivis uh, Pachim Parabellum, uh, where they they can't prevent the destruction of a of a feder- of another Federation ship under attack. Um mm-hmm. So there's that, but like, but just think of the whole idea of of this that the series focuses on war um, is another element where I feel like it gets away from Star Trek. And this was a criticism of Deep Space Nine. Uh, mm-hmm. I just don't think I don't think it was valid there. But it, Star Trek is about 
about, about discovery. It's about exploration. Right. About and the, you hear some of the characters at times talking about what you know. Uh, I I entered Starfleet to be a scientist and to discover things and and in and whenever they get the chance to explore something in the midst of their missions, they do. But I feel like it doesn't feel that like that was, right now. That was it doesn't. But then that was always the least plausible element of of the original Star Trek concept that we're explorers, not military men. Of course, you're military men. That's why you mm-hmm. have ranks and phasers. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're part of a military. This is not an exploration service, civilian exploration service you're part of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we've always heard about wars and such taking place. In the Star Trek universe, like this one, in fact, we heard about this war before. So I think it's legitimate for Star Trek to say, "Okay, let's look at this part of established Star Trek history. That was certainly a big part of the next gen uh, uh, idea. It also next gen was also where they tried to advance the idea that we the future was beyond poverty and beyond economics and all these other things, which then (laughs) just get totally blown out of the water by Voyager and Deep Space Nine, especially. It's like Vulcans yeah. don't have emotions. Nobody believes that. Yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting, kind of the 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 irony of a ship called Discovery that's a ship of war. Right. It, yeah. Yes, there is a bit of that. Uh, so let's talk about the Discovery itself, the ship. I, I like the tech. I think some of the high-tech imaginings of like the holographic virtual, the virtual reality controls and some of that stuff, I'm, I'm, I enjoy – I'm al- I've always been really into the tech of Star Trek. In fact, years ago, I got a book called the Star Trek Technical Manual by Franz oh, Joseph, yes. who is one of the original yep. uh, production designers of the original series. All three probably had that. Yeah. Well, well I, not me, but I, oh, I read okay. it. I got it to <laughs> okay. the science fiction book club for like, you know, you get 10 books for a penny. Um, and years then ag- they jacked up the price. <laughs> well, years ago, <laughs> I looked it up on one of these like, you know, uh, uh, what, what are things worth uh, collectibles thing? And it was like $75. And I'm like, wow. Mm. Of course, I mean, I'll never sell it because it's just awesome. I still I still love that. <laughs> uh, so I love the tech. Um They've got the transporters and they've got, you know, the shuttles. Um, it's interesting they've got this, the, the, the key here to the discovery and what makes it special is the spore drive. Yeah. And the now f- this, this is a big, for Star Trek purists, this was a, another big challenge because mm-hmm. if the spore drive really worked in the long term, it would undo the rest of Star Trek history. Right. Because they'd just be able to teleport wherever they wanted the universe. So you know, so that upset a bunch of people. But from my perspective, it's like, guys, yes, they are introducing a magical new technology we've never heard of before, but it's not going to last. No. There's going to be some crucial flaw that prevents this from being installed on every ship. And that's part of the drama. Which, is we've got this new tool, but yeah, what's the price? Which we've actually probably uh, we might have seen uh, at the very end of the uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the the fall finale that we just saw into the forest. I go and I, where the ship and is transported to a random location in time and space. Yeah, yeah we well, don't even know if it's the same universe, much less. You know. Don't. Um, and it, I, I kind of figured that fairly quickly is when they figured out the tardigrade was the, the navigator of this system. Yeah. It's like, but, okay, this is, this, this is the, the weak link. This is the thing that's going to keep it from actually being a Star Trek canonical. Every ship has it. Technology. Yes. Yeah. And, and actually I, I just 
I gotta give the series its props for I just like that it has raised public consciousness of tardigrades. <laughs> yes. Because when I when I saw when I saw the monster and I got got my first clear look at it, I thought, hey, that looks like a giant tardigrade. And yep. then guess what? It is a giant is. tardigrade. <laughs> and I just love tardigrades. I think they're cool. For people who don't know, tardigrades are tiny microscopic animals that can survive almost anything. They're yep. called they're also known as water bears, and they can be frozen solid and yet live and so they're just really cool little cute microscopic animals and, and i'm glad that more people know about them now and one of the things i really like about the spore drive as a as a plot device is that there's a it requires that a human being be an now it does a human being be an essential part of the the machine and it introduces this moral question of is mm-hmm. this is it right that that we should you know use a person like they like they do and and, and literally use them like a tool to and operate it, it this does device harm to the human being in the yeah. process. Exactly. And it involves genetic engineering, which is forbidden by Starfleet because of the Kanunian Singh business. Right. Uh, so I, I like it as that that it raises these ethical questions as a, as a plot device. Uh, and it's int- and it's interesting. And, and, and apparently we'll have a, a key element of the second half of this first season. Uh, you know, this introduces this and the character at the heart of this. Let's talk about him and and, and some of the problematic things that might we might want to talk about. Um, this yeah. this <laughs> Stamets <laughs> is the uh, engineering officer who's got this bad attitude about stuff. He's sort of this prickly character. Um, well, he's he's more an engineering officer he's the one who developed the drive in the first place he was right. he was like one of two scientists who worked on this technology and figured out these spores and how they go through the universe and everything um his his counterpart was on the other ship the the glen that was destroyed destroyed so much has been made of the fact that stamets is in a homosexual relationship with the ship's doctor uh and that there has been a the first on-screen kiss in a Star Trek series, um, between two men, I, between two men, there have been right. lots of kisses, right? Well, there was the one where uh, the 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 trill uh, had that yeah, the, that moment the to trill be trill host, was yeah. two females. Yeah. But my point: there have been lots of kisses on Star Trek, right? Right, all the way back to Captain Kirk, <laughs> right? So the, fir- the first, not just interracial ones, right? Yeah. The, so the first, yeah, there's been interspecies ones. The, the, so the first, uh, so the first homosexual on screen kiss. Um, I I don't know what to to say, but I mean, obviously, I, I'm uncomfortable with the with what the idea is is that things have been normalized that all of the yep. the the moral mm-hmm. qualms expressed in our society today toward uh, homosexuality as as a as, as as a marriage and all these other things that they have been overcome and in the future, every, everybody's okay with it and it's it's all fine. Uh, and and to me, it just expresses the viewpoint of the sorts of people who make. Hollywood productions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, it's the mindset that, you know, that the progressives, you know, you'll hear this phrase are on the right side of history. Yeah. That in the future, in the 23rd century or wherever this is, 24th century, whatever time frame that is, that, you know, this is just a normal part of life. And what we're fighting now is just going to be fine in the future. And you know what? Again, that's a, that's a, first of all, that's not studying history. That's absolutely like we talked about in Orville with, like I said, with religious practices, you know, it's it's not understanding history. There have been times that things. 
it's Sorry. also assuming history has a side and right. that's and that it's going to go positive. Actually, right. that's naive 19th century progressivism, Correct. which was then dealt huge blows by World War One and World War Two and the Cold War. But and... is rearing its ugly head again, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. OK, and it's it's it's, it's assuming, you know, again, it, it's assuming that those of us who hold to traditional, quote unquote, traditional views of sexuality, which I'll just flat out say, you know, Christian views of sexuality, uh, that we're behind the times that in the future will be the, the, the ones will be on the outside, that our views will be seen as antiquated, that, you know, you know, so, so on and so on. So let me throw something out there. Uh, you know, as we, we, anyone who knows a little bit about the history of Star Trek knows that Gene Roddenberry was a humanist at heart. He was also not, he was not a religious believer. Um, he was pro-life. He was right. Pro-life, but he was not, he was not religious. So it was, uh, was agnostic at best. Um, and had a humanist outlook. And so this is that sort of at the root of Star Trek. And as Christians, who have been Star Trek fans like like you, Jimmy? I've been a Star Trek fan since I before I can remember any different. Um, you, know, th- this is something we've had to live with. And frankly, if you're a Christian who consumes Hollywood content, it's pretty much the same way with a lot of things. So does this mm-hmm. does this affect your enjoyment of the uh, series? Do you, can can you watch it and be like, well, I don't really like that part, but I'm I'm enjoying the rest of the series, mm-hmm. or 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 is or is this because there'll be some people who say this makes it not watchable. How how do you approach these things? I I it certainly affects my enjoyment of the series because I don't enjoy the scenes where they're in this area. Um, I in terms of. Does that mean I can't watch the series? Well, no, because there are, I mean, any human production is going to contain flaws. And if you were to say, I'm never going to watch anything that has morally problematic content in it, (laughs) well, okay, that would eliminate Shakespeare right off the bat. But in terms of depictions of morally problematic content, that would eliminate the Bible um, (laughs) because people sin in the Bible. Uh, a difference is that uh, the Bible doesn't portray this as a normal, acceptable, good thing. It's very strong on the kind of we shouldn't be sinning message. But uh, not all culture is that way. I mean, every people make mistakes and every writer, creator, artist, actor, whatever, <clears throat> at some is a sinner. And at some point that's going to be reflected in their work. So you don't write off something just because it contains morally problematic right. content or even approves of morally problematic content. You uh, you eliminate it when one of two things happens. Either the discomfort that that morally problematic content causes you reaches such a level that it you just want to write the whole thing off or you get tempted to mm-hmm either endorse or engage in the morally problematic content. And, and so if you're, if you're not tempted by this, if you're not tempted to approve of this, and as long as there's enough other good stuff in the series, that this is a relatively lower order of things, given the way the amount of time they're spending on it, which is not a huge amount, then it's possible to go ahead and, and watch it, even though it's, it's, uncomfortable in those scenes and mm-hmm. frankly i would i i strongly wish they were not there 
Okay. I think that's a good approach. I think that's a, mm-hmm. a, a, a well-balanced approach and uh, uh, to not just Star Trek, but to any of the content that's out there. So uh, let's turn to something a little lighter. There, um, there are some elements that they draw in from classic Trek. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, Sarak. We've talked about Harry Mudd. Uh, what do you think of uh, Harry Mudd, uh, his appearance in this, in two episodes so far uh, of this uh, series, one in which he played a major role? He's more psychopathic than he was in the original series, but I really enjoyed his his presence. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I, I did too, uh, Father Corey. What, how did you uh, how oh, do you I, feel I, about I, the I, actor? He plays it very interesting, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's <laughs> I, unfortunately, like I said, I haven't watched as much of the the original series to really get a good feel for the character initially. So you can't really but, from the original series. He's very his his appearance is so small. And by the way, he's uh, in two it, episodes. Yeah. Um, Rain Wilson from The Office uh, is uh, plays Harry Mudd in this. In case you don't I, I think he's is very. There's a humor to his character that's very dark. You know, but it's yep. it, he's very much as a. You, you can see someone who's a profiteer, yeah, being this character, and then getting getting upset enough to do the whole the whole thing with the time shift. You know, and right? So, oh yeah, I, I think he I think he plays the character that he's setting out to play very well again whether or not he compares as Harry yeah. Mudd I don't know but I, I kind of liked I liked the the sort of the amoral Mud, who's sort but like he's disturbing his amorality is disturbing on itself his self but but yet there's a sort of uh piratical uh, way about him that's sort of fun yeah. uh he's a swashbuckling shady character he's kind of like a uh, he's sort of in the mold of Han Solo, but more comedic and more overweight, <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit more uh, less concerned about uh, the 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 you know hurting others. Although I think some of Harry Mudd's lack of concern for the 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 pain of others has to do with the fact that he knew that time would reset and it would wipe out yep. his actions. Which, although from a moral perspective, that's still from our perspective that- morally, it, they still bear moral weight. Yeah. And that's, I think, the big because that's the big difference between the Harry Mud here and the Harry Mud we see in 10 years time on The Next Generation. This is Harry Mud gone psychopath in yeah. that episode. And frankly, the ending of it, even though they tie it into his wife that we see an Android version of in the original series, um, and we learn he's got an unhappy home life and they kind of fill in that backstory. I found the ending of that episode where he goes off with his wife and that's his punishment. It's like, no, you go to jail forever after you've done this. Yeah. I found that the very uh, unbelievable. That was hard to, to buy. I, I agree with that. So um, the, the I want to kind of wrap up because we've been talking for a while here, but uh, I want to wrap up with some of the rumors about uh, what's going on in the series. And one of the rumors involves um, – Lieutenant Tyler, Ash Tyler, who uh, Lorca encounters when they're both imprisoned by the on a Klingon ship, and uh, Tyler says he's been uh, imprisoned for seven months, uh, and they escape together. Nobody, sur- nobody survives seven months on a Klingon as a Klingon prisoner. He points it, out exactly, and uh, and so he ends up on Discovery as the security chief. And Jimmy, you mentioned that there's some theories about there out there about maybe. Ash Tyler isn't yeah. all he. And let's say if you if you don't want to hear spoiler theories right now, uh, I would end the 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 
the yeah. podcast don't, here. D- don't listen to this part because there's the, we're about to hit a big potential spoiler. Right. So if you don't want to hear that sort of spoiler theories, uh, thank you for listening yeah. and uh, and subscribe and go to Tridio.com <laughs> to find out more. Yeah. Uh, for everyone else, we'll continue talking about it. <laughs> Okay, so like normally fan theories aren't worth the time of day. I mean, there's just tons of you go on YouTube and there's tons of fan theories about Star Trek and Star Wars and who is really who and all kinds of stuff. And 99 percent of it is garbage and turns out not to be true. Um, But this fan theory, as well as another one we'll also mention, actually has a, a pretty solid basis. Um, early on in Star Trek Discovery, we meet a Klingon albino character named Valk. And he is kind of the chief acolyte of Takuvma. He's his torchbearer. And then um, after Takuvma is killed, he kind of carries on. And the last we see of him is when the Klingon lady, whose name I don't know, um, is sending him off to a secretive place where some kind of Klingon matriarchs will give him the key to victory. And in order to have victory, he's going to need to sacrifice everything. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, see nothing. Laurel. Laurel. And then after that, we see nothing of this character for episodes. Yeah. Um, then you have uh, Ash Tyler show up in Klingon custody under the care of, or custody rather, of Laurel. And he explains his mysterious survival for seven months as being because she's taken a, quote unquote, special interest in him, implying he's not only been her torture victim, but her sexual plaything. And um, and so then Ash Tyler proves his worth and gets taken aboard Discovery and um, and improbably is appointed security chief. Uh, but then that's one of many bad decisions or, you know, criminally unjustifiable decisions of Captain Lorca. Uh, and then fans noticed something very interesting. The actor who plays Ash Tyler was originally announced as playing a Klingon character. Hmm. And then it got changed to human. Also, the actor if you go to IMDb and look up the actor who's credited as playing Valk, um, it is an actor who, unlike every other actor on IMDb who wants their face out there, does not have a picture of himself. It's mm-hmm. only a picture of him in the Valk makeup. And um, this actor, has, despite starring in a major science fiction franchise, has no previous acting credits at all. And so this has led a lot of fans to propose that Valk is Ash Tyler or Ash Tyler is Valk in disguise. We have previous examples from both Star Trek, the original series and Star Trek Discovery. I'm sorry, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine of Klingons being transformed to pass as human as spies. And this would jibe with um, with uh, the claim that in order to achieve victory, Valk is going to need to um, sacrifice everything uh, when he meets these matriarchs. And it also would jibe with Ash's mysterious backstory and rise to power. And there's even uh, some people started looking into the name of the actor that supposedly played Valk. Um, it, uh, his name was Javid Iqbal. 
Javid Iqbal. So if you if you translate those words from Persian, Farsi, the Farsi language, um, Javid uh, is apparently derived from the Persian word for eternal, and Iqbal is derived from the Persian word for luck. And some people have suggested that eternal luck is a Persian way of saying live long and prosper. So, um, the, the, the whole existence of the actor who played Valk is suspicious. And in the most recent episode, the mid-season finale, we have, uh, Laurel and Ash Tyler confronting each other. Ash Tyler has all of these flashbacks to some kind of surgery or torture, um, which could be part of his transformation. And he, and, uh, Laurel tells him, Privately, I won't let them hurt you, and soon. So the the, the idea is, and, and so Tyler says that Laurel had used him sexually uh, as a prisoner and and, and uh, as a you know toy, and then we get the the. the uh, a scene of them together. Uh, we see the flashbacks of him under medical, you know, tor- we think it's we're supposed to think it's torture, but maybe it's this uh, re- the reconstructive surgery. surgery and that he doesn't really remember, although he's having these flashbacks. And maybe the idea is that Valk had some sort of memory wipe done. Um, to so, make him a better spy. To make him a, like, yeah, so that he's more of a, a, a mole ready to be activated at some point, some uh, Manchurian candidate sort of, uh, you know, insider. And that um, Laurel, it's implied that maybe she got let herself get captured and taken to Discovery uh, so that she could be there to activate him. Yeah. Uh, Actually, what, I mean, she she grabs Ash in the beam out moment right. specifically to go with him. Right. Exactly. It seems. Uh, and then uh, one of the other aspects. Uh, what was I going to. There was another aspect of it that I was going to point. Oh, so Lorca has in his office. We've seen Captain Lorca, a Tribble. On his desk. And we know from Star Trek lore, from the original series, uh, the original episode, in fact, with Harry Mudd, uh, that Tribbles do not like Klingons and, and, and become very agitated in their presence. And we have never seen Lieutenant Tyler in Lorca's office yet. Where the Tribble lives. Oh, that'll that'll be interesting. Good so there's point. a I never caught that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, then there's this question: Is you know will this yeah. you know, will this be part of the reveal? And it's an interesting plot device if if true, because then it means that uh, there is this burgeoning relationship between Tyler and Burnham, and and it's her first romantic relationship ever because of her Vulcan upbringing. Right. Yep. Exactly. And so this is a an interesting question of of you know will, will this be the the eventual reveal of uh Valk being uh you know this and and and, and, the, and, the, and the and the next question is will his original identity reassert itself fully or will he want to side with the humans after this is all mm-hmm. over which well, is by far the more interesting dramatic choice in fact we've seen this occur in other movies and stories where the undercover character um and what the Goes this, native. Yeah, the, the Schwarzenegger movie uh, where he goes to Mars. Um, 
Total Recall? Total, Total recall. recall, where the idea is, and it's a little a little less developed. It's, it's not certain that this is the case. But the idea is he went undercover, got his memory wiped, and then kind of, like you say, went native and was and didn't really want to go back to being who he was. And there's this conflict, ultimately. Uh, and so maybe that's going to be uh, at the root here. So that's the first theory. And Jimmy, yeah. there was a second theory that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. The second one that also seems to have some substance to it, and this is not as big a reveal, but it looks like one of the things they've been seeding next generation char- or original series characters in this show, like Harry Mudd. And recently we had a mention of a Decker that may be an early version of Commodore Decker. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like they may have introduced another character that we've actually seen before, but not under this name. In the original series episode, The Dagger of the Mind, there is a woman on a psychiatric penal colony that tortures Jim Kirk with a psychic device. Um, that um, And her name is Lethe, and she's a psychiatrist, and she's committed some kind of horrible crime or something in the past that led to her being uh, a patient in this mental facility. And when Kirk asks her what she did, she says, it doesn't matter. That person no longer exists anymore. And her name is Lethe. Lethe is the, is the name of the Greek mythological river that you drink that causes forgetfulness. And so Lethe is a symbol of forgetfulness. Well, um, in this, in, uh, Star Trek Discovery, we've had an episode called Lethe. And that episode focuses heavily on Admiral, uh, what's her name? Cornwell. Cartwright. Cornwell. Admiral Cornwell, who, guess what, is a psychiatrist and a dead ringer for the character Lethe. Uh, she looks like her. She's got the same hairstyle. Obviously, the actress is different, but, um, it looks like they are very possibly setting up uh, Admiral Cornwell to be the Lethe in the psychiatric institution that Kirk meets in 10 years' time. And uh, I, 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 when I first saw that, I thought, wow, that actually is very plausible given all the stuff they've dropped here. I mean, the name, the psychiatrist, the name of the episode – um, all of that fits into this. I thought that it might have been wrong when it when uh, Laurel apparently killed Admiral Cornwell, but then it turns out she was not killed after all. So now she's back, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I I have some uh, hope that they may pay this one off. That'll be an interesting uh, another interesting aspect of of you know to see if so Cornwell is now aboard Discovery wherever it is now. Um. And there'll be this conflict between her and Lorca, certainly, given that yeah. the last time we saw her, she had been trying to take away his command, and he set her up to be captured and possibly killed by the Klingons. And, then, and if she is Lethe, it means we're probably almost certainly going to get to see whatever terrible thing that she did that led her to be confined in a mental institution. Right. Or, um, you know, whatever the, whatever happens to her that, that creates this impression, whatever Lorca... Yeah. manages to do to her that that right. it gets her confined uh, so there's that possibility so a couple interesting theories um i'm I, i'm i'm i don't know i haven't really looked uh to see what what Rumors are out there about what the next half season of Star Trek Discovery holds. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I like it for you know, despite whatever reservations I may have expressed. I, I, 
I look forward to it and I watch it every week. Uh, I do enjoy the show. Um, and I, I hope it develops further. Uh, we we have a second season coming after this first full season. In fact, the f- I think the first full season is going to be how many episodes? I think it's fifteen season, fifteen episodes for the season. Yeah, so that would mean we've got six episodes coming back because yep. this was the ninth. Yes, yeah, and it starts up again in January, just after New Year's weekend after yeah. New Year's. Okay. Incidentally, uh, someone mentioned I was watching a video uh, reviewing the most recent episode and somebody mentioned that this series pays off if you pay close attention to detail that it it it, it, it not expects, but it rewards viewer engagement. And an example of that is the cliffhanger of the final episode, because they use the spore drive to go home and suddenly they're in this mysterious place. We don't know where, maybe not even the same universe, because we know the mirror universe is coming up somehow. Um, but if you there's a moment you blink and you miss it and you really need to freeze frame this moment to see it clearly. But just before they use the spore drive, Lorca inputs some data on his keypad and it's got a list of the spore jumps. And right at the bottom, it says Lorca override. So just before they jumped, he deliberately changed the coordinates Ooh. as part of his ongoing pattern of manipulation. Mm. And he said, take us home. So wherever they are, maybe home for him. It's an interesting idea. The, the idea is that it pays off close watching. I mean, this has been sort of a, a thing that's come up with new series, whether it's Westworld or some of the others, where it's it's in the small details that you really find something, a, a, you know, you really get an insight into the show. And I, I, I think that it, it lends itself to this idea that... Um, the fans today, the shows are made for several different levels and you have the casual fans, but then they, they sort of make a show that rewards the intense fan as well. And, and so there's different levels of enjoyment. So that's good to know. So I think I think that's all we have to say for, about uh, Star Trek Discovery, at least for the first half of the first season. Um, that's that'll be it from us. So, what did you think of Star Trek Discovery's first half season? Uh, let us know by visiting tridio.com, t-r-i-d-e-o.com, or the Tridio Facebook page and leave us some feedback. You can find links to all our personal social media and our websites on our show notes on Tridio.com. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed to ensure you receive all the future installments of the Secrets of podcast series, which this is part of, including our upcoming look at the Star Wars The Last Jedi, which comes out next month. We'll we'll, we'll get together to talk about that when it comes out. Until then, uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing in the Secrets of Star Trek Discovery. I've enjoyed the discovery. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you, Dom. Uh, and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. Thank you.